Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and the developments of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Now, this week's episode is, if you like, an epilogue to uh, the most recent Justice League, Justice Society crossover. A coda, if you will. Mm -hmm. A little consolidation of some events which took place in that one and also kind of points the way to the future. We talked when we did the JLA-JSA crossover for 1969. It was such a game changer bringing Black Canary to Earth One and all of that. And this issue is really about that and establishing her new status quo and some new relationships. It's very, very interesting, isn't it, Pete? It most certainly is, yes, and this kicks it all off. Yes, this week we're doing issue 75 of the Justice League of America, published on the 11th of September, 1969. Pete's going to tell you about the cover. I really like this cover. <laughs> it's a really striking cover. In the foreground, we basically have the lower half of Black Canary's body showing off her fishnet mm. stockings and her Cuban-heeled pirate boots. That she seems to be wearing. Fantastic. Yes. And behind her in the background, we have basically an array of defeated JLA members. Mm. First of all, we have at the front the Atom, whose costume is in tatters and he's lying atop a book. Behind him is Superman, whose costume is in perfect condition because, of course, Superman's costume is invulnerable in the Silver and Bronze Age. Yes. Behind him, strewn over a log, it looks like, is a tattered <laughs> Batman. And in the very back, lying atop uh, what seems to be a table with a tablecloth on it, we have Green Arrow, a goateed Green Arrow. Yes. Yes. She'll talk about that further. I really like this cover. Mm. Maybe it says quite a lot about me, paging Dr. Freud. And there's a word balloon coming from Black Canary, and it says... Now do you admit I can take Wonder Woman's place? And of course there's a striking yellow Justice League of America banner at the top. It's wonderful. Yes. I love the yellow logo that really pops against the, the dark background. You know, they're quite blatant about it. They're, they're emphasising mm-hmm. Black Canary in a certain way, you know, it's, as a dominant female over the lads. Yep. Superman just looks like he's maybe mopping his brow because the sun's too hot. <laughs> Batman looks knackered. Yep. <laughs> Green Arrow looks like he's waiting for a massage, to be honest, the way he's lying yeah. on that table. <laughs> and just the way that Black Canary is framed, it's it's a very powerful image. Who drew this cover, Pete? It doesn't look like Mr. Adams. This one's by Murphy Anderson, which is very nice. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. That surprises me, actually, just mm-hmm. because the faces don't look too Murphy Anderson. When I say the <laughs> faces, it just means Superman and Batman. But anyway, that's fine. I should take a word for it. So in his cover description here, Peter mentioned that Green Arrow has a new look. His costume is altered. doesn't look like the, the loose green-fitting smock top that he wore anymore. It's sleeveless on his left arm. He has a goatee beard. In a way, he looks a bit more like Hawkeye, just the way he's been styled, you know, as a, as a proper yeah. mm-hmm. battle-ready archer. Mm-hmm. And this new costume, which Oliver's going to have well into the 80s, appeared... Kind of between the two halves of the 1969 JLA JSA team up, it appeared first appeared in issue 85 of Brave and Bold, which is a Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams story, which yes. is absolutely fantastic. Famous cover when its cover line, the senator's been shot of Batman and the new look Green Arrow. It's an interesting story because you find out that Oliver Queen and Bruce Wayne share the same psychiatrist. <laughs> You know, we've talked a little bit about how some of the stories we've done recently become a bit more sophisticated, a bit more adult, mm-hmm. and the contrast with some of the infantile Superman family stories we've read. Yeah. Raven Bold 85, I wish, I wish it fell into a remit because it's a cracker. It's mm-hmm. really, really adult, really political, really grown up. 
And that's the one that really establishes Green Arrow's modern personality. Definitely, yes. Uh-huh. The whole social justice warrior aspect of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're about a year away still from the epoch making Green Lantern stroke Green Arrow 76, which is the beginnings of Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams' famous and justly regarded run with those two characters. But this comic we're doing today, JLE 75, is kind of the next step towards that after issue 85 of Brave and the Bold. And it's a, it's a good one to do, aside from even just from what it does for repositioning Black Canary. It's a mm-hmm. really good one because it gives gives us all an idea of, what, of how Green Arrow is developing at this point as well. Yeah. It really marks a, a really you know a really big change for him. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a good one to do for that. We won't be doing Green Lantern 76, but we will be doing at least one story from that. Yes, looking forward to that. It's a real shame that there wasn't a, a team up with Alan Scott. Can you imagine? Oh, that'd have been great. Yeah. You know, the hard track. There is mm-hmm. one cover that well, with, the, with the reprint and stuff, but if, uh-huh. oh man, I can't imagine. It would have been terrific. Anyway. Oh, well. Shall we jump into the story? Yes, I think we should. So, our opening page, we begin with a close-up of Green Arrow. We get a good look at his new hat, we get a good look at his new mask, and we get a really good look at his neat new moustache and goatee beard, which he obviously must have grown very, very quickly mm-hmm. after the events of JLA 74 or <laughs> before Brave <laughs> the Bold 85. Maybe for Green Arrow quite a lot of time passed, but anyway, mm-hmm. he looks very serious here in this opening panel, as he says, I've been asked to tell you this story. Superman, Batman, Hawkman, and the rest of the Justice League say it's my story, mine and Black Canaries. As most of you know, my name is Green Arrow. In my spare time, I fight crime in Star City. But most days, I operate an investment company as Oliver Queen. At the next panel, in fact, the next few panels over the next few pages have that rippled effect to the border, which tells us we're in flashback territory. The next panel, panel two, is an Exterior shot of a building which is clearly labelled the Queen Fund. Green Arrow's narration continues. I don't think I need to add that I'm rich, or was rich until about a month ago. I was in my boardroom, listening to the lies of John DeLeon. Yes, we see John DeLeon brandishing a handful of papers towards Oliver Queen and Civvies. His hair's a bit longer than it might have been in the past. We can see his moustache and goatee. Mm-hmm. John DeLeon is an older middle-aged-looking, slightly overweight American man. Hair slicked back. I'm just going great at the temples, red-faced, as he cries at Ollie. These documents prove you deliberately mishandled the city's municipal bonds for your own profit. Ollie replies, Those so-called documents are forgeries, Delon, and you know it. Perhaps, but there's no way in the world you can prove it. You're through, Queen. Finished. Once news of this gets out, no businessman will come near the Queen Fund. The final panel of page one shows... Deleon and the other suited chaps who are with him marching out of Ollie's office. Ollie's cast into shadow as his narration continues. I knew Deleon had framed me to force my accounts to do business with a company he controlled, but, as he said, I couldn't prove it. And I knew he was also right in saying that my outfit was dead. Oh dear. See, this is the thing. All along, I think I'm sure we discussed it when we did our Xenaro episode. Mm-hmm. There's always been that slight parallel between Green Arrow and Batman. Yes, you know, the millionaire, mm-hmm. big com- head of a big company, and all this sort of stuff. So this this real development for Green Arrow is that he, you know, is him sort of losing his fortune. So at the top of page two, we see a shot of Ollie walking the streets, and he narrates, "I needed to be alone to think. I wandered aimlessly." my steps unconsciously carrying me to a crumbling slum area of the city. Suddenly I heard a call for help and saw... Yes, we see a small bespectacled chap being set upon by two burly muggers and Ollie rips open his jacket and shirt and tie, starts a change of costume as he thinks... A mugging. It's a fine opportunity to try out my new green arrow gear. 
and we then have a sequence of three panels, which Ollie very helpfully narrates. Quickly, I pulled my collapsible bow from my quiver and, with a twist of the wrist, snapped it into readiness. Then I fitted a slim plex aluminum shaft to the spun glass string and let fly. Yeah, and the next panel has a massive twang sound effect as Green Arrow fires an arrow at the miscreants. Now, these, that sequence of three panels is terrific. You mm. really get the sense of movement of him snapping his bow into shape. It's oh, really, yes. really cool. Ollie's narration then for the final panel, page two. A moment later, the plastic arrowhead exploded and... There's a massive sound effect as the, the arrow connects with the pavement and basically it ignites and we see the muggers clasping at their eyes, clasping at their face, ducking down. The first panel of page three is a shot of the two muggers in pain. The first one says, Bur- Burning up! And the second one says, Skin feels itchy all over. And Green Arrow rushing in from the background with his fists ready says, Just a case of instant sunburn. And then the next panel with a boo and a lonk, he punches out both bad guys. And the small poindexter victim. He looks a bit like Woody Allen, actually, doesn't he? He does, yeah. In the background with his little neat bow tie and his neat suit and his side-parted hair and his glasses says, Lucky for me, you happened along, Green Arrow. You're about the most useful guy in town. So he pats Green Arrow on the shoulder and Green Arrow looks dejected and thinks, Useful? But am I? Is a part-time crime fighter really useful? And then he continues his narration, saying, That was the beginning, the first of a series of events which would teach me and the other members of the Justice League of America that in In each each man man, there is a demon. demon. And we're told this adventure is transcribed by Denny O'Neill and pictured by Dick Dillon and Joe Giella. So that's tremendous. Mm. We're in safe hands. There's nothing better, quite frankly, than Denny O'Neill writing Green Arrow. So we arrive on page four. There's a slight sense of the fourth wall being broken here, really, isn't there? Yeah, uh uh-huh. Because we see that Green Arrow has been joined by Black Canary. She's standing in front of him in this panel, looking up at him, gesturing. And she says, Perhaps you'd better let me tell the next part, Green Arrow. Sure, Black Canary. After all, you were there and I wasn't. And an inset shot of Black Canary looking very, very pretty narrates the next couple of pages. She begins by saying, I was at Justice League headquarters, the subject of a mild argument. And we see the assembled members of the League. We see Superman... Hawkman, Batman, with the Atom standing on Batman's shoulder. Superman is saying, I motion that we waive all requirements and vote Black Canary a JLA member immediately. Hawkman, wide-eyed Hawkman, says, Hold on, Superman. I yield to no one in my admiration for Black Canary's courage and virtue, and I know her Earth-2 record is admirable, but I wonder whether she's accustomed to our kind of mission, our kind of dangers. Hawkman continues in close-up, Many of our tasks involve more than ordinary criminals. We get another inset shot of Black Canary here. Uh, (laughs) Quite amusingly, she continues her narration, saying, As Hawkman droned on, my mind wandered to my home, Earth 2 and the terrible events of a week past, when the Justice League teamed with the Justice Society against the star creature Aquarius. And we see a few members of the JLA and JSA, see Superman, both Green Lanterns, Batman and Hawkman, battling the large figure of Aquarius, an asterisk takes us to a caption at the bottom of the page which says A tale full of sound and fury told in JLA issues 73 and 74 and indeed previous episodes of the podcast. Mm. We arrive at the top of page 5. Canary's narration continues. With a shudder of horror, I recalled how Aquarius caused the death of my husband Larry. 
and we see Larry being struck by the big ball of energy. Now, did Aquarius cause it, or did Green Arrow cause it when he trapped Canary in the gunk? But then I suppose it was Aquarius that made the Justice Society fight the Justice League, so yeah, okay. Mm. Mm. Panel 2 of page 5 is narrated by Canary, saying, And how Superman invited me to Earth 1, where perhaps I could forget. It's a cracking panel. Superman looks very Christopher Reeve, bearing Black Canary in his arms as they, Mm -hmm. they fly up. Canary's rippled panel flashback continues. I snapped out of my reverie when Hawkman's voice rose in anger. And we see the winged wonder saying, I know she's a judo expert, but judo simply isn't enough against the sort of foes we tackle. And the atom pipes up from Batman's shoulder saying, How do you know? It seems to me she should have a chance. And then Batman says, Still, we have no right to endanger her needlessly. And we see Canary standing to the right of them all in the Just League headquarters in the cave. And from behind, she seems very annoyed as she cries, Please stop talking about me as if I weren't here. All of you, stop bickering. And in the final dynamic panel of page five, is a close shot of Black Canary looking amazing. And it's almost as though she's surrounded by a golden halo. There's almost like a burst of energy around mm-hmm. her as she narrates, Suddenly, I felt an odd singing inside my head, like nothing I'd ever felt before, ever. It seemed to move outside. And as we arrive at page six, she continues to narrate. Then the noise. There was not a noise. Seemed to leap away from me with tremendous force. And the mighty Justice League was flung about like leaves in a hurricane. And sure enough, that's what we see. There's a massive sort of zlap sound effect as Hawkman and the Atom and Batman and Superman all go flying. And Kennedy continues to narrate. I was utterly, totally bewildered, unable to even guess what had happened. And a caption says, Green Arrow continues the narrative after a two-page break. So we pass a couple of pages. We arrive at the top of page seven. Another close-up of Green Arrow looking straight at us as he says, While Black Canary was at JLA headquarters, I was on my way to see a certain Dr. Oil. I needed help, and I knew it. The first psychiatrist I consulted hadn't cleared up my problem. And another little asterisk there takes us to a caption box that alerts us to Brave and the Bold, issue 85, obviously we mentioned. We met Ollie and Bruce Wayne's psychiatrist mm-hmm. in that comic. Now, Pete, say, Dr. Oil, you mentioned there. How would you spell that? Well, it's D-R for doctor. <laughs> yes. And it's O-Y-A-L. It's like royal without the R. Hmm. That's quite interesting, isn't it? It is unusual. Hmm. Yeah. Oil. Anyway, so Green Arrow's narration continues in panel two, page seven. I'd heard Oil had developed a revolutionary new therapy. I poured out my soul to him. Yes, we see Oliver in civvies in a blue suit talking to Dr. Oil. Dr. Oil is another middle-aged American man with sort of sweat-back receding brown hair. Oliver is ruffling his hair with his hand as he says, So you see, Doctor, I don't know which is really me, Oliver Queen financier or Green Arrow crime crusader. The Doctor replies, saying, A highly complex crisis you have. An identity crisis, I believe. Foreshadowing there. Foreshadowing, Jinx, you me a Fanta. <laughs> In the background of panel three, we see Dr. Oil operating some machinery, which has a fancy sort of a headset attached to it. Mm-hmm. And the doctor is saying, Fortunately, I'm in a position to assist you. I've recently perfected a device that will revolutionize psychiatry. My id actualizer. It will dig deeply into your subconscious and enable you to see what you really wish to be. And in panel four, we see that Oliver has had the headset fitted to him. There is a sound effect as it starts working, and the doctor is saying to Ollie, Relax, the the treatment is quite painless. And then Oliver narrates the next caption, saying, I slipped into a trance for a moment. 
and there's a massive zzzz sound effect as we see what looks like a couple of clouds of green smoke emerging from the top of the, the headset of the Ed Actualizer. And then, rather startlingly, in the final panel of page 7, this green smoke that was coming out the top of the equipment seems to form itself into, well, it forms itself into Green Arrow. Dr. Oyle looks astonished and cries, well, What is this? It should not be occurring. Who are you? Where do you come from? And then in the first panel of page 8, with a swap, this green-tinted other Green Arrow that's appeared from the equipment punches out the doctor, saying, I am the real Green Arrow, the warrior who lives within Oliver Queen's body, his fighting spirit, his self. And the next panel, this fighting spirit version of Green Arrow is running from the scene. Dr. Oil is rubbing his face in the foreground of the panels. He says, this is most unexpected, utterly unscientific. And Oliver Queen, who's removed the headset and got up, says, I don't know what that thing is or what it was babbling about, but something tells me it better be stopped. Panel two, we're back in real time with Green Arrow and Black Canary. Black Canary looks stunning here, quite frankly. Calm down, Davy. Cold shower. Green Arrow says, Take it from here, Black Canary. After I'd accidentally knocked the Justice Leaguers down, and we get another rippled effect to these panels, the inset Black Canary says, Superman and Adam decided to find out how I'd done it. They used the JLA's bionic computer to test my physical responses. And we see in this panel, Canary, sat in a big sort of chair, for want of a better word. She's mm. got electrodes connected to her hands and fingers and to her temple. She's wired into the machine as one, actually, connected to her chest, and a couple even connected to her feet, mm-hmm. by the looks of it, around her legs, at least. Superman and the Atom are looking at some scientific equipment. The Atom says, If you read those dials like I read those dials, we've got an instant mutant sitting here. Superman says, That's the way I read them all, right? And from her chair, Black Canary says, Will one of you please explain? Then the atom, in silhouette, says, Gal, when you sent us flying, you did it with ultrasonic waves. But how? I didn't say anything. Yeah, and that is what's freaky. Apparently your brain generated them without your willing it. The next panel, Canary looks a little pained, has her head in her hands as she says, Nothing like this has ever happened before. The atom says, I'm only reporting, lady, not explaining. And Batman, who's arrived on the scene, says, I might have an explanation, Atom. He continues in the next panel. I'm just guessing, but it seems possible that the structure of Black Canary's nervous system was altered. Altered magically by one of Aquarius's astral emanations. Canary says, I was very near when his magic sphere struck down Larry. And Hawkman says, So were we all. I wonder if the rest of us were affected. Interesting. In my head, I've always had it just... Something to do with the fact that, you know, just that she crossed from one earth to the other. Mm-hmm. And something to do with it. I, can, I mean, I can't remember when that lodged in my head. But anyway, we'll yeah. see how, if we get any further explanation. Mm-hmm. Canary's narration continues. At that instant, almost an answer to Hawkman's question, the door to the secret chamber slammed open. Everyone gaped, too surprised to speak. And the door has been flung open by the green energy figure of the green arrow that we saw emanating from Dr. Oil's machine. Canary's caption for the next panel. Then we recovered our wits and lunged at the intruder. And we see Atom, Batman, Canary, Hawkman and Superman all lunging forward. Then Canary's narration for the next panel. Well, very interesting. She says, And as we touched him, similar creatures seeped from our very pores, shimmered and materialised around us. And what we see very much is what's, what's just described. All the heroes have laid hands on this green energy arrow. And... It's almost like they're forming from dust, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's almost like a form for dust, or, you know, if you see a, a flock of birds sort of pulling shapes mm. in the sky quite mm-hmm. high up, it's almost like that sort of twisting aura emerging from each hero and forming and turning to Batman, to the Atom, to Canadian Hawkman. We don't see one for soups in this panel. It's very, very interesting. Good chance we'll put this panel on the socials. Mm-hmm. Canary's narration to page nine rounds out saying, unaccountably, only Superman remained unaffected. Oh, I'll have to see what happens with that then. So, we arrive at the top of page 10. There's a dog barking outside, listeners. I hope you can't hear it. And the green energy versions of Batman, Hawkman, the Atom and Canary are all squaring up to their real-world counterparts. The energy Batman says, You want to know who we are? We are your own natures. Hawkman says, Formed from the mystic ether, always unseen. The Atom continues, And from the darkest corners of your spirit. And Black Canary concludes, We are the evil that lives within you. And then, in the next panel, the energy Justice Leaguers start trashing the place, basically. And they say, in turn, We are the Destructors. And I hope you managed to figure out who was saying what they're listening to. <laughs> <laughs> they start throwing equipment around. Superman lunges forward the next panel, going for Green Arrow as he says, Correction! You're the losers! And the energy Green Arrow says, Think you can harm me, Superman? Try! And in the next panel, there's a thunsh sound effect. A Superman goes to try and punch Green Arrow in the chest, and his fist and arm phase right through him, colliding with the wall behind. The energy Green Arrow says, Fool! We're magic, and against magic, you can do nothing! In the final panel of page 10, the energy figures all set about Superman, getting pure stuck in, as we might say in Glasgow. Hawkman says, We can be touched only by those who begot us, our counterparts. Batman says, And they will not. Black Canary says, Because they cannot. And the final last energy duplicate, the Atom says, Because no man can battle himself. There's a great blap sound effect as Superman cowers under their battering. So we arrive at the top of page 11, and... Through an open doorway or window, we see the energy versions of Batman, Atom, Canary and Hawkman taking their leave. The energy Batman cries back saying, We go to do those things you dare not do. And Superman sat on the floor says to his pals, You heard them. Only their counterparts can stop them. What are you waiting for? And Hawkman says, They're right, Superman. We can't fight ourselves. Canary's narration for the next panel says, Later, I learned that Superman was thinking... We get a close-up of a lantern-jawed man of steel who's mm-hmm. thinking away to himself. They're bewildered. I've got to snap them out of it. Apparently none of Aquarius' mystic residue hit me. I don't have an evil other self, so I can't demonstrate. Or can I? Canary narrates the next panel. It's very see what you see. We sat like children with bad report cards, brooding over the fact that such hideous things could have been spawned by us. Hawkman looks very sad. Batman looks a bit miserable. The Atom looks dejected. Mm. Actually, I'm looking to my right here and checking. Yes, the Atom's legs are miscoloured as blue instead Ooh. of red, so that's quite interesting. Yeah. Get your, your no-prize letters in, listeners. Maybe it's just to reflect how blue he feels. Yes, that's possible. <laughs> it reminds me of maybe one of his later colour schemes. I can't I can't be sure on that, though. I'd have to go and dig out Sword of the Atom or something and have a look. Something. Uh, yeah, it's... Maybe. Anyway, Black Canary's narration for the final panel of page 11. Abruptly, an icy, unearthly voice slashed through the silence. And Superman whirls around because a green energy version of him has arrived who says, Superman, dare you face me? And our Superman says, my evil self. Yes, I accept the challenge. As we turn the page to page 12, 
Canary's narration says, Without a moment's hesitation, Superman flew into action. And we see our Superman of Earth 1 flying towards the green energy version. Consecutive issues of Justice League of America with Superman fighting Superman. Amazing. As he lunges forward towards the green energy Superman, the green energy Superman says, Ha! Such a mighty creature as myself as not to be stopped by a mere punch. And then in the next panel, well... Yes, I think Batman obviously heard what you were saying there. Because <laughs> his comment is, it's almost as though Superman were fighting the Earth 2 <laughs> Superman again. And a little asterisk reminds us that it, um, it happened last issue. Hope we didn't miss <laughs> it. Or indeed, a couple of weeks ago in the podcast. Mm. Green Energy Superman punches our Superman and falls back. And our Superman says, in response to Batman, almost. And he continues in the next panels, he retaliates. Except this time, I'm going to win. And he punches at the Green Energy Superman, who says, Never! I'm as powerful as Zeus, as Thor! And then in the final panel of page 12, our soups with a bash, left uppercut, strikes Energy Superman in the face, saying, Not by a long way. And even if you were exactly like the mythological heroes, you'd lose. Bit of a dig at Marvel's Thor there, I believe. Yes, possible. <laughs> First panel of page 13 then, with a charloop sound effect, Another punch from his left hand from Superman sends the energy Superman flying up into the ceiling. And Soup says, I cherish the old-fashioned belief that in any struggle between right and wrong, right will triumph. And this proves it. He dusts his hands in the next panel as he turns to his superhero colleagues and says, See, if I whip my own bad side, so can you. The Atom says in response to this, You know, I think the big man's got something. And then Canary's narration for panel three says, It was unnecessary to say anything further. Without a word, we dashed outside. I to the motorcycle Superman had specially built for me, Batman and Atom to the faint Batmobile, and Hawkman to the sky. She narrates the next panel. While our elder statesman of steel stayed behind. And we see Superman looking down at the body of the green energy Superman. And he thinks, I almost feel guilty about fooling my fellow leaguers. Still, what I did was more effective than a pep talk, and I can always build another Superman robot. And we see him cradling the fallen figure, and we see that the back of its head is broken, and there's some electronic mechanical machinery revealed. So that was it. He tricked everyone by fighting one of his robots. Good plan, good plan, Clark, good plan. A tiny caption then says... Continued on fourth page following... So we pass a centre spread advertisement for Super Saturday on ABC, talking about uh, the new schedule. There's the Smokey Bear Show, the Catanooga Cats, Casper the Friendly Ghost, Hot Wheels, the Hardy Boys, Skyhawks, the Adventures of Gulliver, and Fantastic Voyage. We then pass another page, which is also about ABC's Saturday Club, where we can send off this form, and for 50 cents you can get all sorts of stuff. And then we resume with the story, page 14, which is narrated by Canary, which says, It wasn't difficult to follow our alter ego's trail. A trail of devastation and wanton destruction that led straight to Star City. I could sense that we were nearing them. Magic though they were, they hadn't our swift transportation. We got a great shot of Canary speeding along on a motorcycle with a Batmobile following behind him. Mm -hmm. She narrates the next panel. Just as the sun was sinking, we sighted them, each going a separate direction. They had split up, and so did we. And we see the green energy versions of Batman and Canadian Hawkman and the Atomos splitting. Canary's narration for panel 3 of page 14. Hawkman caught sight of his nemesis entering a deserted factory, and as he told me later, was after it in a trice. And we see the energy green Hawkman flying over a big chain-link fence that has a sign on it saying, Yardley 
iron and gadget work. And we see our own Hawkman. I love the way he's drawn in this panel, just the way yeah. that the mask in that sort of later Kubert sort of style. Mm-hmm. It's almost like he's seeing out from underneath it. It's, yeah. it's brilliant. We see our Hawkman looking down. Panel four shows our Hawkman flying up to confront his duplicate. But the duplicate quickly retaliates with a zock. He face palms Hawkman and says, Why bother to pursue me? I am strong as iron, Hawkman. Behold how effortlessly I repulse you. And he swings away from Hawkman in the next panel, saying, You, with your exaggerated notions of goodness, are obsolete as a vacuum tube, while I am as modern as a transistor. Fantastic. Over the page now to page 15 in the first panel, our Hawkman, he retaliates, punches the green energy Hawkman in the stomach, saying, You've just burned out, Transistor. And there's an, Ugh! from Energy Hawkman as Canadian narrates, Hawkman's humour was, as usual, poor, but his punch was marvellously effective. This on Kitar Hall. <laughs> That's a bit harsh, Canary. So, the next panel, Canary's narration. Meanwhile, Batman had cornered his foe in front of a sleazy diner. <laughs> Yeah, great, I like it. How sleazy, that's what I want to know. Yes, now, Energy Batman is tinted yellow in this panel. Mm-hmm. It's very, very effective. He's saying to the real Masked Manhunter, Stay away from me. I want to be alone. And our Batman, who's drawing out his Batarang, says, Don't be shy, it'll all be over in a second. He hurls the Batarang in the next panel, but Energy Batman lifts up a dustbin lid to deflect it. Ha, huh, a totally ineffective attack. And now... Against unerring aim and superb skill, nothing can shield you, says the energy Batman as he throws the dustbin lid towards the Cape Crusader. Our Batman ducks down and avoids it, saying, You're joking, attacking with a trash can lid. In the next panel, final panel on page 15, our Batman leaps forward. Looks like he's headbutting energy Batman in the stomach. Energy Batman says, Don't make fun of me, I'm as good as you are. And real Batman says, Fella... You're no more than an imitation of me, a clumsy, paranoid imitation. Gosh, clumsy, paranoid imitation was an early menswear B-side. I can't remember what single that was on, but it'll come back to me. Hmm. I'm sure it's probably another one of the songs about Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream. So the first panel, page 16. Oh, this is a cracker. Mm -hmm. Batman has overcome his energy duplicate and has rammed him into the aforementioned trash can dustbin. With a chock sound effect, he strikes down on top of his head and says... And this puts you exactly where you belong. The next panel, Canary's narration continues. At that instant, the Adam was chasing his exact number into a discarded thimble. This is a cracking panel. Mm-hmm. They must be, you know, someone's office, someone's desk. We can see the energy atom rushing for cover almost as Ray Palmer chases him. The energy atom is saying, you'll never catch me. Even if you should, it wouldn't do you any good. The next panel's cracking. There's some really exciting size-changing action going on as the energy atom is saying, I'm a scientific genius. Same as you, only smarter. See? Any size you can get, I can get smaller. But Ray says, Sure, it's easy to shrink. The real test of your powers is growing. Ah, I think I can see where Ray's going with this. The energy atom in the next panel then starts to increase in size, saying, I can do that too. I can be a giant, a veritable... Goliath! And if that's not a reference to, to one of Hank Pym's aliases, I don't know what is. The next panel, there's a bluck sound effect as the energy atom's napper collides with the thimble. Oof! He says, off panel, the atom says, grew a little too much, huh? And then, final panel of page 16, the real Ray Palmer, standing on the arm of the downed energy atom, saying, if this creep is Goliath, I'm a biddy David. 
Biblical reference. Do kids still get that nowadays? I don't know. We turn the page. Page 17. This is another one of those episodes, listeners, when I listen to it back, I'm going to be sick of the sound of my own voice. (laughs) (laughs) Canary's narration continues, top of page 17. Even as Adam was enjoying his effortless victory, I had spotted the altered black canary at a motorcycle racetrack. There was a big banner in this first panel that proclaims, Motorcycle Races Tonight. Our canary, zooming in the background of the panel, is in the foreground. Energy Black Canary shoves a motorcyclist away from his bike. He's in the process of saying, Hey, good looking, what do you think you're doing? We're leaving you this noisy toy, handsome. And she zooms off now in the next panel. We get a shot of a couple of punters at the racetrack who are now watching the two canaries zooming along on the motorbikes. The first punter says, Hey, I didn't know it was ladies' night. And his pal says, Me neither. Malaga 5 says the chicken back wins. Chicken back wins. Is that something you get from KFC? <laughs> Whee! <laughs> so the two canaries are zooming along in the background of this panel. Looks like they're actually riding past the Christmas tree. Yeah. Energy canary in front as our canary follows our thinking. I can feel that strange singing burning up inside my head again. The next panel, another motorcyclist is following up behind Canary, wearing a purple jumpsuit and a helmet, and he says, Blamed if I'm going to let any female cop the prize money. It's quite difficult to hear what they're saying over the, the roar of the engines, isn't it, listeners? Canary is thinking, This time I'm certain I can direct the sonic waves straight at that hussy. We can see the golden aura starting to build around her head like it did earlier in the comic. But in the final panel of page 17, she's turned round to look at this sexist motorcyclist who is trying to cut her off. And he is struck with a full concussive burst instead. He cries, Hey! As he comes off his bike and his helmet goes flying and he goes, well, he goes flying himself. Canary thinks, Oh dear, they went in the wrong direction. Yep, the sonic wave. So, in the first panel of page 18, Canary has caught up with her duplicate. She leaps from her motorcycle, thinking, I'll have to rely on my old skills. And she narrates the final panel of page 18, saying, We both broke our falls easily. Before the other me could recover, however, I applied a sleeper hold. And she immediately slipped into unconsciousness. And that's what we see. Our canary, with her hands crossed over the shoulders of her foe, and her foe sort of going into decline as Dinah knocks her out. A caption concludes this chapter, saying, The Emerald Archer relates the eerie climax to the strangest of stories after a two-page pause. Oh, good, I can get my breath back. So, oh, we pass a very interesting mm. full page of DC Households, Frishes of Showcase, World's Finest, Binky's Buddies, Scooter and Debbie. They all look fantastic. We pass a page that's labelled Stars and Their Legends, which is all about Poseidon and Andromeda and Perseus and such like. And then we arrive at the top of page 19. We're back with Green Arrow, as he says. The rest of the Justice League had been successful, but with me, it was different. And we're back into Ripley panel territory here, as he narrates the next panel, saying, Coincidentally, I found the evil creature I had spawned in the same slum where earlier I'd stopped the mugging. Yes, we can see that the the evil energy Green Arrow is outside a pawnbroker's. We can see the shadow in the shape of the... The pawnbroker's balls hanging, and we can see Pawn written on the, the shop front that he's attacking. We see the broken glass, he's reaching, grabbing some jewels and what have you. Our Green Arrow says, Drop that stuff and turn around. The duplicate says, Ah, I wondered when you'd get here. The real Ollie says in the next panel, Put it back or so help me, I'll. Do what, hypocrite? Haven't you realised yet that I am you? I'm no criminal. Panel 4 of page 19 is a close-up of a, the angry energy duplicate Green Arrow as he says, it was never convenient for you to commit crime. Indeed, you fought lawbreakers, but not because you're good. You maintained the Green Arrow identity because it was fun, 
You enjoyed the thrill of outsmarting foes. You gloried in the fame it brought you. In this panel, our Green Arrow looks very, he looks a bit nervous. He looks uncomfortable as he, as he agrees with his duplicate and says, Yes, yes. In the final panel of page 19, we see the duplicate holding up a nice fancy jeweled necklace. It's glowing and he says, But underneath, you were always Oliver Queen, much, much more interested in wealth than heroism. Can you deny it? No, no, I can't. And our Green Arrow looks very dejected. He looks down. I mean, he's, he'd raised his bow to attack his duplicate, but, you know, he's, he's dropping it down. He doesn't look very happy at all. And indeed, in the first panel of page 20, he drops his bow and arrow completely to the ground as a clack sound effect, and he starts walking off, leaving it behind. But in the third panel, he whirls around as a voice from behind him says, I wish you hadn't done that, Green Arrow. Let that fella get away. I mean, this here shop just barely keeps me and Ma going. And what we see is two actually very caricatured-looking elderly people. She's wearing a green dress, he's wearing a blue waistcoat, he's got glasses and a big droopy moustache. The lady then says to Green Arrow, That crook stole most of our stock. We won't be able to pay our bills now. Her husband continues in the next panel. Guess we ain't got a right to blame you, though. We're poor, plain folk. We don't count for much. Still, we always figured you were different. We we figured you cared. And heaven knows, people like us need somebody to care. Ah, I can see what they're doing here. Mm -hmm. This is very good. The first panel then of page 21. Queen Arrow is running off, leaving the elderly couple behind. As he calls back, saying, Don't move. Wait for me. I'll be back. I swear it. He narrates the next panel. The halting, quavery words of those old folks did for me what the psychiatrist couldn't. Showed me what I should be. What I had to be. Panel 2, page 21, shows Green Arrow recovering his bow, picking up his arrow. He continues his narration in the next panel. I sighted that demon, the corrupt mirror image of myself, a block away. And Green Arrow, taking sight on his foe, says, You've gone far enough. You've existed too long. And the energy Green Arrow says, So, Green Arrow was not convinced. He still does not admit that I am him, the part of him that loves action and violence. In the next panel, the energy Green Arrow has dropped his ill-gotten gains from the pawn shop on the ground. Very interesting panel. Further down the street, we can see our Ollie with his bow and arrow aimed at the evil figure. And our Ollie says, That may be true, but there's another part of me, the better part. The half that controls violence channels it towards building a decent world. And then this is when the energy duplicate says, Then one of us must die. The final two panels of page 21. Green Arrow narrates, saying, He whirled bow-drawn and let a razor-sharp shaft fly. At the same instant, I loosed a blunted arrow. Kraken shot, actually, of the two archers have, as they've each fired and their respective um, arrows flying towards them. Very exciting. The first panel, page 22. His aim was off a tiny bit. I took the barb in the leg instead of the heart. Yes, we see our Green Arrow with an arrow stuck into his thigh. Panel 2. And mine, as it neared him, he shimmered, dissolved. And that's what we see. We see the energy Green Arrow fading out. Very, very effective. Green Arrow's narration then for the massive final panel of page 22. Elsewhere, over Star City, the same thing was happening. The ugliness that, for the past terrifying hours, had been threatening the sanity of the Justice Leaguers melted, drained back into us. Yes, it's, it's not too clear exactly what's happening. It just looks so that the five energy figures of Batman, Green Arrow, Canary, Hawkman and the Atom are all just sort of shrinking down. Mm. They're maybe trying to show that they're being absorbed back into the, the regular figure, but I think there's a 
the colouring doesn't really tell that. Yeah. I kind of think, I think that's what's happening at least. Anyway. Yeah, it's definitely a colouring mistake, I think, yeah. Green Arrow's narration concludes page 22. Once more, we were contaminated with evil, and once more, we were fully human, neither better nor worse than the other three billion men and women who walk the earth. And so, we come to the final page of the story. We see Green Arrow sat in a chair with a big bandage around his leg. Some equipment, scientific equipment, looks like tape recorders lying in front of him. There's a book with Justice League Journal 1969 written on it. Ollie sat in the chair with his bad leg up, Canary standing next to him. Green Arrow has a microphone in his hand, which is connected to one of the tape recorders. We can see the, the wheels spinning away as he says, Our companions have gone. Only Black Canary and I are left to record this tale for Justice League archives. There's nothing left to tell. It's over, and already it seems like a distant dream. The pain in my leg reminds me it was real. The pain and a sense of purpose, totally new to me. I'm injured, penniless, and happier than ever before, because now I know who I am. And Canary, looking almost into the middle distance, is saying, Well, I don't. I still don't belong to this time, this place, but I'll try. We both crippled, Green Arrow, you by your wound, me by my loss, my doubts. Perhaps, with some luck and some love, we can both find health again. And a caption says, The, the end. end. Well then, mm-hmm. that was all very existential, wasn't it? <laughs> it certainly was. I think Denny O'Neill's run out of plot ideas already, because basically we had the GLA fight pretty much their equivalents in the JSA the last couple of issues. <laughs> And uh, in this one, the GLA is fighting energy duplicates for themselves again. I think he's uh, stuck in a bit of a rut here. I would disagree gently with that. The idea of the Ed Actualizer machines mm. bringing out people's dark side is, is quite interesting. Uh-huh. That's not quite what we had in the, the GLA, JSA crossword. I think maybe we should have had Dr. Oil maybe return again to kind of maybe offer up some, Indeed. some sentiment mm-hmm. to make the heroes maybe feel a little bit reassured. Yeah. I don't think, if we had that in any stories yet, like people fighting evil versions of themselves brought forward from themselves, that distillation, it's very, it's another Star Trek-y type plot, isn't it? Is it is, very Star trek yeah. It's what's, mm-hmm. what's the name of that episode with the, the transporter malfunction? Enemy Within, is it that one? Yeah, something like that, isn't it? When it's all about existence. So I wonder mm-hmm. if Denny Neal had watched Star Trek. That's what I think. I think that's what he's doing. He's ripping they were all watching trek. Star Trek at this point. Carrie <laughs> <laughs> yes. Bates certainly was, as we know. <laughs> yeah. I think you've been maybe a little harsh there, mm. but I, I get what you mean. As the similarity of, I mean, Superman fighting Superman again. Yeah. And uh-huh. of, yeah, Batman commenting on it. Yeah. Still doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. get away from the fact it's, it's a, a slight bit of Stephen Moffat style recycling. Yeah. I think it's a really good soft reboot of Green Arrow in this one. Mm. Reintroducing him into the league. Obviously, as you've said, it was kind of dealt with in the, that Brave and Bold issue. His new look and his new kind of persona. But yeah. this, this gives a psychological reasoning for his new outlook in life. Mm-hmm. I find that really unusual for this period uh, to actually do something like that because as, as we've said before and as you mentioned earlier on uh, Green Arrow's always been kind of like diet Batman you know he's a knockoff Batman Poundland Batman whatever you want to call him yeah it really does solidify him as his own character which is great yeah it does a good job of consolidating what happened in the Brave and Bold issue and obviously the yeah. scene with the elderly pawnbroker and his wife you know gives Ollie that idea of like, you know I can help the little guy yeah. I can help the poor disadvantaged person mm-hmm. because you know and my motivation is that I've lost all that money myself. And yeah. Compared to the, I keep <laughs> I keep being disparaging about the Lois Lane stories, that we're <laughs> but compared to that mm-hmm. two part Lois Lane story that we glossed over last week, this yeah. is light years ahead. I mean, I think this is 
Do you remember in the 80s when a lot of DC Comics had those little caption boxes on the covers that said DC Comics aren't just for kids? Yeah. This is some real proper mature adult writing that we're getting here. Yeah. This is this ain't just for kids. I mean, in a way, it's a bit sad, mm-hmm. you know, because at this point, I think comics really were still a, an entertainment medium mm-hmm. for children. And I don't think they really keep this level of maturity for that long. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, once Denny moves on, it, it kind of maybe retrogrades slightly. Yeah. It's very interesting. We're definitely getting the beginning of that. Uh-huh. The quality of the Neil Adams Green Lantern Green Arrow stuff can't be doubted. I mean, Indeed, you know, there's, yeah. there's debated to this day how successful or how popular it was at the time, based mm-hmm. on sales, whatever. But you know, they were really pushing the envelope, and I think this this comic is a little. It's a good intermediary stage. I think yeah. if they were doing any collection of the hard traveling hero stories, mm-hmm. they really have brave and bold eighty five, and this issue just as league in them as well. Yeah, valid point. Yeah, definitely. Uh huh. They really should because it's it's part of the whole. The evolution. It's a shame that Neil Adams didn't draw this one. It would have fitted right that in. That would have been wonderful, yeah. This kind of very much reminded me of the Spectre issue 3 and the maturity of it. You know, it, it had that feeling uh-huh. to it. Yeah. As, and as we said, that's kind of like a precursor to the Bronze Age, really, because mm-hmm. it's like a decade away in feel and tone from the recent Lois Lane story. Yeah, I would agree. It's just fantastic. And this really feels like Denny O'Neill and the creative team has basically picked up on the changes and are wanting to move forward and not just mm-hmm. uh, recycle mm-hmm. old Gardner Fox plots, you know? Yes, so, I would agree with, I agree with mm-hmm. you very much, yeah. I mean, this definitely feels like a Bronze Age comic. You yeah. you could tell someone this was published in 1918, they might believe you, I think. You know. yeah. still, I mean, there's still some fun for kids in it, like mm-hmm. the superheroes ver- fighting versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. That's that's still cool to see. It's a lot of fun. It's it's some good imagery. I liked especially you know the Batman fighting Batman with the rubbish bin lid. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, and the atom tricking the other atom. That was that was great fun too. So I mean, I think a young audience would still get that yeah. excitement of it. But there is still the the extra layer of characterization which really makes the difference. I think. Yep. Speaking of those scenes, I think there's a, a there's a definite dig at Marvel here because we've got <laughs> you've got Superman dissing Thor. <laughs> you've got the. Trash can lead being thrown like Captain America's shield, and you've got the reference to Goliath as the atom gets knocked out. Yes. I honestly think there's a subtle dig at the Avengers here. <laughs> I think you could be right. That's very funny. I think you're right. I think I'm right in saying we're at the point now when Clint Barton has taken over as Goliath. Mm-hmm. We're still a fair bit away from the Kree Skrull War, obviously, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, Clint Barton has given up his Hawkeye. Interesting. Clint not being an archer as Green Arrow becomes slightly more redefined as a more. <laughs> yeah. Characterful archer. That's interesting, isn't it? What, yeah, oh, true. what mm-hmm. an interesting parallel, listeners. Mm. <laughs> mm. I don't know if we've said this already, but we do have a plan to do a couple of Marvel comics at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Anyway, I found it hilarious in the Hawkman versus Hawkman fight. Bearing in mind, Hawkman's uh, a scientist and policeman and an alien from another planet who's got his own spaceship and everything. Yes. <laughs> the evil duplicate Hawkman compares Hawkman to a vacuum tube and himself to a transistor because that's obviously the height of technology even on Thanagar. <laughs> Gosh, you're right. That's, you hadn't thought of that. That's tremendous. I love that. Yeah, that's, oh, that's a good point. Why didn't he use some kind of Thana- yeah. Thanagarian technology yeah. as, a, as an example? Yeah. One of my favourite things about reading these old comics is seeing outmoded technology being referenced or used. For example, the, the whole <laughs> thing with uh, Green Arrow and Black Canary narrating the adventure for posterity, that is a thing that actually continues and pops up every now and then. Right. In the 180s, I think it is, there's a really good story where the Shaggy Man comes back and they refer back to right, yes. uh, the videotape recording that Green Lantern made of an adventure where I think it's him and the Flash 
take down the Shaggy Man and basically they put they get the VHS out and pop it in the machines kind of thing. It's hilarious. <laughs> but that the idea is that all the leaguers it's probably a Batman rule. All the leaguers have to, you know, record all their adventures so that you know they've got all these references mm. that they can all refer to and mm-hmm. the record must be complete. I find that absolutely hilarious, especially when it is yeah. you know, in a satellite, you know, twenty two thousand three hundred miles up in the air. It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean it, it, it it also puts me in mind of all the various points in the Avengers when mm-hmm. someone will review a previous report or something, and it's always yeah. Hellcat or the Beast that recorded <laughs> it, and and someone's watch, you know, someone's watching a video of them telling you. That's a thing that I, I like. Because are you coming for dinner, Iron Man? No, I'm just going to sit down and record a little quick fifteen minute video about that adventure we've just had. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, yes, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's the final that final panel. It's the way the the tape recorders are just casually strewn around the rocky yeah. floor of their cave base. That's just, that's absolutely hilarious. Yeah, fortunately, the cave's not going to last much longer because the damp would have got right into that tape recorder. <laughs> Jinx, that's exactly what I was going to say. But the, <laughs> we will be doing a couple more issues of the GLA very soon, listeners. And yes, mm. the, when, mm-hmm. when they leave the cave behind. But yes, watch out for that. That'll be happening very soon. Indeed. I did really enjoy uh, Dr. Oil's Superman 3 machine. <laughs> Basically, you put it on and uh, it creates a duplicate that you have to defeat in order to, you know, find yourself. Of course. <laughs> that's probably what I was thinking of, actually. That's probably what I was struggling mm. to remember. No, that's a very good point, yeah. <laughs> He's just in a slum. Yeah, Superman 3. Amazing. I love Superman 3. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's got a lot of knockers, but it's, it's tons of fun. It's got one of the Magnificent Seven in it, for crying out loud. Of course it's going to be good. <laughs> There we are. Anyway, shall we move on to the correspondence? Yes, let's jump on. So we're into the JLA mailroom from issue 79. Issue 79, I've been reading that recently for a reason. The first letter goes like this. Dear Editor, it's been said before, and I'm saying it again, DC has the most human superhumans in its comics collective pages than any other publishing house. Well, I would dispute that straight away, frankly. Human, quoth I, therefore it follows as the night the day that DC's heroes are also the most neurotic and insecure and dilemma-plagued. Really? Have you read this, your <laughs> Spider-Man? This is not necessarily bad. As a matter of fact, had it not been for Green Arrow's psychological problems and the depth of character they revealed, in each man there is a demon, along with JLA 75, would have been the utterest of utter bursts. Let me, to overlook an already overworked verb, elucidate. The evil JLA versus the good JLA idea is a familiar one. It belongs mm-hmm. to the mirror image class of the good evil plot and as such holds a permanent place in comics philosophy. Five or six years ago, in each man, would have been handled in the horse opera manner with gangs of positive negative characters and buckets of tears and endless soliloquies at the end of the story spoken by a lone hero against a backdrop of silhouettes. The evil heroes would have been brought to life by Amos Fortune or Felix Faust and would have been vanquished only after a tremendous struggle. In other words, in each man would have been 23 odd pages of brilliantly coloured boredom. Not so this issue. And it's because Denny O'Neill concentrated not on the evil JLA, but on the tortured Green Arrow and to a lesser degree, the distraught Black Canary. GA was the real centre of attraction. It was his struggle. The struggles of his comrades were incidental. The beautiful part of the struggle was that it was not so much a struggle between good and evil, but a question of orientation, of degree. Green Arrow was unable to reconcile his limitations with the idea that a superhero is absolutely good, so he began believing he was evil. What he eventually came to realise was that a human being is not absolutely anything, even if he's got extraordinary talents. There is no such thing as absolute good or evil in this world. Everyone has a dark twin, and everyone must learn to accept him. 
no one should give in to him. I thank you, Denny O'Neill, for the November JLA. There is one more thing I'd like to say before closing. Black Canary is a fine replacement for our depowered Diana, Wonder Woman Prince. However, I cringe at the thought of her bowling over criminals with ultrasonics. I've heard of Canaries singing, but this is ridiculous. That's from Rand Lee, Annapolis, MD. Now, we didn't really talk too much about Canary's powers there, did we? No. In our own little chat. Actually, that reminded me, I did mean to bring that up. Because in this, they seem to be psionic in nature. Because it did say it's emanating from her brain. Mm. Whereas I always remember it's being a Canary cry and it is a vocal thing that she does. A vocal Mm -hmm. thing, yeah. We'll have to keep an eye on that and see how it it evolves through the the stories that we do. Mm -hmm. Editorial response to Rand is... That there are colossal events about to burst upon Green Arrow is startingly revealed in the April Green Lantern, when both green-clad crusaders take off on a bold new direction, that is. As the current saying puts it, out of sight, says the editor. Tremendous, yes, there we go. Check out your copies of Green Lantern 76 to see what happens next. Mm. The next letter goes like this. Dear editor, Green Arrow's identity crisis reached a turning point in the November GLA. Instead of arrows... His demon twin bluntly aimed at him, the reasons for his self-doubts. For a moment, Grinaro believed these, gave up and walked away. It thus appears there may have been some truth to the fact that he had fought crime more for kicks than for a pure sense of justice. However, the pleading of the old folks jolted G.A. from his self-pity and suddenly he realised his true place and his true self. The conflict, symbolic of the conflict within G.A., was later symbolised by real arrows. G.A. aimed his at the heart of his demon twin, and his self-doubts died. His opponent's arrow had only hit his thigh, causing some pain, yet the pain was enough to remind him who he was. He had rediscovered, or perhaps discovered, the motivation deep inside him that had destined him to be the Green Arrow. The outward manifestation of his new search from within, that is, his stylish golden beard and moustache and contrasting uniform, gave him a distinguished, yet commonly dignified appearance. Add to this the loss of his investment company and Oliver Queen now seems more like a 20th century Robin Hood. I wonder where he will go from here. If he remains penniless, he will surely become an unusual hero in comics, if he also somehow retains his Dinaro identity. Perhaps he will become a loner, a wandering hero. Hopefully, interesting struggles are ahead for Green Arrow. It is quite possible that he could become one of the most exciting and individualistic heroes ever to roam the pages of DC. And that's from M.D. Kelly, Oak Harbour in Washington. That's very interesting, Mm. what he anticipates there. The editorial response says, To P.S., a comment on our first editorial note, Denny O'Neill did a scripting on that Green Lantern Green Arrow, which means you can expect the best in story. And since only Neil Adams could do such a story justice, a self-quote, you can expect the best in art. Editor, so yeah, that's um, another little trailer for GLGA number 76. The next letter then goes like this. Dear Editor, when Gardner Fox was scripting Justice League, the reader came to expect each of the stories he turned out to be in one of a number of different veins. Most of the stories he wrote would be interplanetary sci-fi tales, but occasionally there would be mystery stories, strict moralistic pieces, excursions into the occult, or stories of heroes versus villains. Sometimes the whole story would be aimed at giving the reader an in-depth character study. Somehow, Denny O'Neill has managed to find a point at which all these elements converge, or at least at which they can coexist, and then incorporated all of them beautifully into In Each Man There Is a Demon in JLA number 75. And the O'Neill trait has been for too long, producing the story with a great plot but poor scripting. In an unprecedented about-face, 
open brackets, number 75, close brackets, his plot isn't much to speak of. One prolonged fight sequence topped off with a cop-out ending, the alter ego's disappearance, but the plot's development into a wonderful script deserves a prize. The blend of the occult and science fiction that characterised the Aquarius battle was carried over into this issue, intact by deriving the magic alter ego plot twist directly from issues 73 and 74. Open brackets, clever. One hopes that the technique of events leading to other events and subsequent issues will continue. It allows for one story every issue, yet keeps the usually regular reader on his toes. The mystery factor is also present in number 75. Mystery is sustained throughout as the reader wonders just what will become of Oliver Queen stroke Green Arrow. The moralising was the best part of the story, though, because of the way it was handled through an intensely psychological character study. O'Neill seems to have been at least a trifle inspired by the basic statements of both Conrad's Heart of Darkness and Golding's Lord of the Flies, that the evil in man is from within. What O'Neill has done is simply put this basic premise into pictures. He has also resolved Green Arrow's perplexing personal conflict by means of a graphic application of a moral philosophy, that although evil is inherent in man, he can overcome it. The climatic motivation scene, full of pathos involving the elderly store owners, was one of those rare, precious moments of pure Dennis O'Neill that the critical reader has missed for so long. And that letter is from Martin Pascoe, Clifton, New Jersey. Now, he becomes a comic book professional, doesn't he? Certainly does, yes. We'll be covering some Martin Pesky Pascoe stories at some point mm. in the future, I believe, yeah. That was a great letter. It was, yes. Editorial response isn't really relevant. It's talking about the story they've got planned for issue 80, which yeah. we're not going to do. But actually, we will ultimately touch on some of the details of that when we get to Super Team Family, when we get further into the 1970s. Mm -hmm. But, you know... We'll maybe do some digging on issue 80 before we get there. Yep. So the next letter says, Dear Editor, With so many superheroes losing their magazines, readers will have to turn to the JLA for characterisation. In issue 75, it's been done with Green Arrow. After the past years, when you might have thought that he, Aquaman, John Jones had retired, it's about time he was given a personality, never having had his own magazine. His identity crisis was exceptionally well handled, especially enjoyable was the Emerald Archer's confrontation with himself. Where else do you see a hero admitting he's in the crime-fighting business for pleasure? Since this was G.A.'s inner self that brought out the facts, I like to believe that what he said was true. Usually he states that he's a longing for an end to crime and he's always unselfish. Of course his fighting side does not compose his entire psyche, so we have a human being fighting crooks for pleasure, but doing his job admirably. A kind heart and fighting spirit combined to make him a hero deserving of the populace's applause. And that's from Joe Snack from Montville, New Jersey. That actually reminds me of something. Right. Back in my youth, I used to play the DC Heroes role-playing game. And on all the character cards, they had their character motivation. Superman was upholding the goods. Batman was vengeance or seeks justice. But Green Arrow's always intrigued me because it was Thrill Seeker. Interesting. He basically did it because it was fun. And that was just how the character was defined in the role-playing game. Yeah. That just popped back in my head there. Yeah, That's interesting. Gosh. That is interesting because obviously, as we've seen, this, this story we've just covered has sort of changed his motivation slightly. Mm -hmm. And that will be developed much more, obviously, in the aforementioned hard-travelling heroes Green Lantern Green Arrow series. Yes. Which we might do after we finish uh, this podcast and after we do Dial H for Hero and <laughs> Challenges of the Unknown. Mm. Anyway. So the next letter. Dear Editor, I'm not surprised to hear myself say that I liked every single thing about JLA 75, nor should you be. 
Georgie Ella's inks look very good on Dick Dillon's pencils, and you won't hear any complaints from me if Joe stays on for good. Of course, even he couldn't keep that Aquarius clown from looking just that, a clown, not a super menace. Oh well, that's showbiz. Though I have no complaints, I do offer some constructive criticism. Denny started out with a beautiful plot and turned it into quite an average story. What happened? I'll run through the events in order. The first thing I saw when I opened the magazine was Green Arrow. First impressions count. And this one hit me just right. I enjoy following his plight, but hope to do so through his own magazine soon. I watched with interest as the Ed Actualizer made its appearance. The Destructors is not very original, but the beings themselves were quite good. That only the original hero was able to touch and therefore defeat his double was expected, but that's the only way it should be for the story's sake. Knowing this didn't spoil things for me, but something else did. Denny built us up for a doozy of a battle, then polish off the bad guys with sickening rapidity. Superman spurring his pals into a fighting mood was good, but the way he just up and beat the stuffings out of his robot double killed me. Just like that. <laughs> I'd have expected each individual battle to take at least three pages for the necessary effect. We'd have been here all night, yes, Mr. S- Mr. Skinner, but they made the whole thing look like a lark. I think, well, the thing is, the fights weren't the real focus of the story. No, really. that's not what it was about. Superman, instead of simply beating up his force, have used skill to overcome him, special Kryptonian fighting techniques, blows to pressure points, anything. He was only hit once during the whole battle. She, Hawkman did absolutely nothing worth printing, and Batman was treated even worse. The Atom had a good gimmick, but it all happened too fast. Black Canary, too, had little effort in subduing a foe of whom she was deathly afraid minutes before. Well, the whole motorbike thing was quite amusing, actually, yeah. the, the racetrack stuff. That was quite funny. I'm not showing favouritism, but frankly, only Green Arrow was worth watching. Yeah, that's probably true. Even then, something was missing. Seeing him wounded was a good touch, but how that arrow of his made the guy just up and vanish is beyond me. This story needed two issues, and that's all there is to it. Had Denny realised that, you might have had a masterpiece in your hand. As it is, you barely squeezed through. And that's from Gary Skinner, Columbus, Ohio. I think we've heard from him before. Mm -hmm. I think he's a bit harsh there. I think he was kind of missing the point. The editorial response then says... Denny O'Neill was well aware of the fact that he would have liked a couple of issues to give the full treatment to In Every Man There Is A Demon. But because the previous story ran over two issues, it was decided to single it. However, the current yarn was too big, too important, too vital uh, to allow anything but two issues to the dread disaster of pollution. There's a flash forward to what we're going to be covering coming up. Yes. Going back to Gary's letter, though, I think he definitely Mm -hmm. has missed the point because the Superman robot was basically brought in to be defeated by Superman. Yes. It's not like he's supposed to be a a proper viable threat. Exactly. And to say Hawkman did absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing, he did a lot more in this with his um, yeah. blowhardiness and his you know stickler for rules and mm-hmm. you know looking down on people and stuff that's that's very character based for Hawkman. I mean, just remember the gentleman ghost where he's yeah. he's all forthright saying nope, nope, he's not a ghost, yeah. nope, definitely not. He's quite a conservative stick in the mud, and this is part of this is the whole uh, weaving that Denny O'Neill does with mm-hmm. Hawkman and Green Arrow and a bit of antagonism between them that's developed further on. Jerry Conway really does that a lot, as does Steve Englehart later on. Yes. Uh, but it kind of mostly kicks off around a bit here-ish. Yeah, and I remember when, spoilers for the far future, sort of turn of the century, when Green Arrow, Ollie was killed off for a while and then revived. Mm-hmm. You know, very quickly they had an issue where he met up with Hawkman, yeah. who'd also been revived around about the same <laughs> time. And, you know, they kind of yeah. sparred slightly. I remember that happening. It's nice to maybe even try and start looking for the beginnings of that and mm. the way the two characters have written. It's very interesting. Yeah, uh-huh. It's very interesting. So, PC's going to do the last letter for us now. Here we go. Dear Editor, JLA75 was good, but in each man there is a demon was bad. 
And although that sounds like a contradiction in terms, it really isn't, because GLA-75 and Demon are two different things. GLA-75 was obviously meant for three purposes. A. To reintroduce Green Arrow and place him in a new light. B. To initiate Black Canary into the GLA. And C. To give BC some sort of superpower so she won't be overshadowed by the superpowerful Justice Leaguers. All commendable ideas. But the bad part is the way they were strung together. The basic plot of In Each Man was an old one, being the Each of Us is Evil idea. Then the superheroes go about battling their evil counterparts, defeat them and return to normal. Alone this plot wouldn't have a chance of survival, but mixed with the important events mentioned above, it is halfway decent. However, there were a few other good points in the story I liked aside from the three mentioned. One was the use of Superman in a non-action role. The other was Green Arrow's finding of himself. And the third was the narration of Green Arrow and Black Canary, making for a nice change of pace. And that's from, again, someone who's going to be writing comics that we're going to cover in the future, Alan Brennert from Heldon, New Jersey. There we are. All right, yes. That's very interesting. Hmm. Cool. Right. That about almost wraps it up, doesn't it? Hold your horses, sir. Oh, what? What's what? Yes. <laughs> One of the pages we skipped past earlier on had mm-hmm. something very interesting in it. There was a quiz on the Golden Age characters. Oh. Dim the lights, you're in a spotlight, and the tune starts. That's one for the kids there. Approaching Menace is the name of that tune. Yes. Good evening and welcome to Mastermind. Your name? David Steele. And Mr Steele, you have chosen as your specialist subject... The wonderful world of comics with an emphasis on DC Golden Age. Correct. We have 20 questions on Test Your Golden Age IQ. Question number one. Hop Harrigan, America's ace of the airways, starred in comics on radio and in a movie serial. What was the name of his returned red-haired mechanic? I have absolutely no idea. I don't know if I've even ever read a Hot Paragon story. (laughs) That's terrible. Oops, pass. Okay. The answer was Tank Tinker. Question two. Right. DC had two super speedsters in the old days, the Flash and Johnny Quick. What power did Johnny have that the Flash lacked? Well, Johnny Quick could fly, as demonstrated in our episode when he fought the Spectre, but not that Spectre. Correct. Question three. Brooklyn, Alfie, Jan and Andre were four teenagers who battled the Axis during World War II. By what name was the group known, and who commanded them? That's the Boy Commandos, isn't it? Yes. But I can't remember. Okay. I can't remember the name of the, the soldier that looked after It's him. Rip Carter. Of course it is. Yep. Question four. No less than 17 heroes were active in the Justice Society of America at one time or another. <laughs> we told you their names not long ago. Can you recall at least ten of them? Right, okay. Our man, the Flash, Green Lantern, Aspect of the Atom, Doctor Midnight, Doctor Fate, Starman, Hawkman, and Wildcat. There you go. Amazing. Perfect. <laughs> you could have had lots more, but that's fine. Yes. Uh, question five. Who spoke this oath? And I shall shed my light over dark evil, for the dark things cannot stand the light. The light of... The Green Lantern, the original Green Lantern, Alan Scott. Correct. I hope you're writing. I hope you're marking I am. this all down properly. <laughs> right, good. Question six: In its two appearances, the Injustice Society had eleven different members. 
Can you name five? Oh, God. Um, right, okay. Um, Vandal Savage, Per Degaton, The Thinker, The Gambler, The Wizard Brainwave. Yep, that's great. That's perfect. Uh-huh. Question seven. Which of the Injustice Society members double-crossed the others, and why? I can't remember. <laughs> it's years since I, since I read any All-Star comics. I can't remember. It was the Harlequin, because she was in love with Green Lantern. There you go. Oh, of course, of course. Question eight. What youthful assistants aided these heroes? We'll just do them quickly one at a time. Sandman. Oh, that's Sandy the Golden Boy. Yep. Shining Knight. I can't remember. Oh, Sir Butch is the answer. Right. Okay. Okay, fair enough. That doesn't, Actually, I don't think I knew that. Okay. I'm not the biggest fan of the Shining Knight. Vigilante. Is that stuff, the Chinatown kid? It certainly is. The Guardian. The Guardian? What's the Newsboy Legion? Yes. Big words and Gabby and all that. I love the Newsboys. And Johnny Thunder. Um, Johnny Thunder. Is it Peachy Pet? Correct. There you go. I'll give you a, hey! I'll give you a full point awesome. for that, even though you, you missed one because you got the older others. That's good. Okay. Thank you. And question nine. Which teenage hero had a grown assistant? And what was the sidekick's name? Ah, well, that would be a reference to the Star-Spangled Kid and Stripesy. Certainly will be. At the point of recording, listeners, the, the trailer for Series 3 of Stargirl was just released over in the last 24 hours, so that's quite exciting. Mm. They're back on the agenda. Here we are. Question 10. At one time, most heroes had humorous helpers for comedy relief. Who were the funny friends of the original Flash? Oh, dear. No idea, I don't know. Yeah, you do. We did it in the podcast. Oh, heck. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Um. Oh, what were they called? Because <laughs> John and I were talking about it the other day. Um, I can't remember. Like our episode, yeah, I remember like episode two or episode three yep. we did them. I can't remember what they were called. <gasps> the Three Dimwits, was that it? The Three Dimwits, I'll give you the Three Dimwits. Winky, Blinky and Noddy, but they were collectively known as the Three Dimwits. That's fine. Right, okay. I got the Three Dimwits, right, that's fine, okay. Wonder Woman. Is that Etta Candy? Yes, correct. Mr. America. Oh, because he's in Golden Age, isn't he? he? certainly is. Oh, heck, the guy with the moustache. Oh, I can't remember his name. It's Fat Man. Right, of course. Green Lantern. Oh, God, I, I don't know. There was a dog at one point, wasn't there? They're giving a sporting character a comedy thing. No, I can't remember. I'm dr- No, don't look at me like that. I can't remember. Doiby Dickles. Doiby Dickles, of course. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> I was drawing a complete blank. <laughs> wow. That's terrible because I'm, I'm just going... I'm, I'm panicked with the question because yeah. I know that I'm oh. oh god right. how can I forget Doiby that's terrible Doiby I'm sorry I don't really think of him as much of a comedy sidekick but I suppose no. and finally the spectre ah well that must be Percival Pop the super cop yes correct you got more right than wrong there so I'll give you a full point well, you don't have to you give me a half point alright okay give me a half point I'm not going to be two right question 11 which heroes had these animal sidekicks a flying horse named winged victory right well that'd be the shining knight indeed an owl named Hootie. Dr. Midnight, batteries not included. Mm-hmm. A parrot called Static. A parrot called Static? I love this one. No idea. <gasps> it's Airwave. Airwave? Airwave, yeah. Right, that's interesting. Okay. An octopus called Topo. Right, that's Aquaman, obviously. It is indeed. And finally, a hawk called Big Red. Is that Hawkman? It is Hawkman. I don't remember Big Red, but just... Me neither. That's fine. Yes, okay. that's great. Question 12. What two heroes used atomic energy in the early 1940s before the first atomic bomb was exploded? Is that 
TNT and Dynamite? Yep, TNT and Dan the Dynamite, that's correct. Yeah. Yep, okay. Question 13. I've got a list here, so. What hero battled the Thinker, the Mist, the Dummy, the Huntress, and the Cavalier? Right, well, I think the Thinker was the Flash. Mm -hmm. The Mist was Starman, obviously. The Dummy, was that... Oh, heck, was that Batman or the Vigilante? I'm not sure. Um, The Huntress... The Huntress, now we've talked about the Huntress already, haven't we? Oh, was that Green Lantern? I can't remember. The Cavalier, I can't remember. I don't know the Cavalier. Okay, so the Thinker was Flash, the Mist was Starman, the Dummy's Vigilante, right. so you got that one. The Huntress is Wildcat, right, and the Cavalier is Batman. Of course, so the Huntress was Wildcat. There. I knew that, yeah, of course, because we did, yeah, we did that Raven Bolt, right. Yep. Question 14. What were the other identities of these heroes? Tex Thompson, Terry Sloan, Libby Lawrence, Al Pratt, and Wesley Dodds. Right, well, Tex is Mr. America. Mm-hmm. Terry Sloan is Mr. Terrific. Yep. Libby Lawrence is Liberty Bell, obviously. Al Pratt's the Atom, and Wesley Dodds is the Sandman. Correct. Woohoo! Question 15. What hero's strip was replaced by one starring his sister? I think that's the Star Spangled Kid. You are absolutely correct, it was. With Mary, the girl of a thousand gimmicks. Question 16. What villain got his name from the day he was spawned in the depths of a swamp? Oh, well, that's that Solomon Grundy, born on Monday. It certainly is. Awesome. Question 17. Which hero, blind by day, could see in the dark? That's another mention for Dr. Midnight, batteries not included. Yay. Question 18. What hero inspired Wildcat to adopt a secret crime-fighting identity? Wildcat was inspired by reading a reading about Green Lantern, which suggests that right from the start, Wildcat was an Earth One. We will debate this further when we get to Raven <laughs> Bold 88 very soon indeed, listeners. Mm. Question 19. Who wore the motto Fair Play on his costume? That's my main man, Terry Sloan. Some of us have it permanently on our shoulders, some of us don't. Yep. And the final question. Beep, beep, beep. I've started, so I'll finish. What two <laughs> heroes, originally clad in business suits and masks, later switched to colourful skin-tight costumes like most other heroes wore? Well, as we dis- one of those we discussed in one- another one of our earliest episodes. That's the, mm-hmm. the Crimson Avenger. And the other one would Correct. be the aforementioned Sandman. Fantastic. And at the end of that round, David Steele, you scored 16 and a half points. <laughs> Is that out of a potential 20? Out of 20, yes. That's not bad. That's all right. I'm showing my lack of knowledge of um, animal comedy and kid psychics really there, aren't I? <laughs> and now general knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of fun. It was. <laughs> Listeners, if you want to, if you, well, it's probably too late to try and play along at home, but you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Listeners, if you were playing along at home, then please get in touch and let us know how you got on with that quiz. You can email us at theearthdoepodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because there'll be lots of bonus material going up for this and indeed every episode. On Facebook and Instagram, we're at the Earth 2 Podcast, and on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore Earth 2. Yeah, we had some nice feedback from our pal Steve Higgins, who have been catching up in the last two or three episodes, so thank you to Steve and Caitlin for listening. Thank you to everyone that interacts with us regularly on Twitter and Instagram, it really is appreciated. Indeed. We've had a couple of comments as well recently that some people haven't found all our episodes available on Apple Podcasts. 
And if that is the case, then don't worry, you can always check out our website. That's at theearth2podcast.com, where all of our episodes are available. Yep. So do not worry, folks. It's all there for you. We haven't taken them off. Yep, they're still on YouTube as well. We're going to try, and if anyone knows a way of <laughs> helping us out so that <laughs> Apple Podcasts shows all of our episodes instead of just the last 99, that would be a great help. We're not too technically mm. minded as far as it comes to fixing that. That would be appreciated. <laughs> and while we're about it, if you're able to go to wherever it is that you receive your podcast and give us a nice positive review that would be lovely it certainly would and on that note i've been peter and i've been david we will see you again very soon on the earth two podcast transmatter cube activated return coordinate set for earth prime you're through queen finished once news of this news sorry <laughs> 